help. Nobody moves. You park around the back. Keep that thing running. Executive concussive rounds come perpetual. Your head and neck gotta honor how we blessing you. Uncoming young Brahma, bronze feet biblical. Lines heat physical, sublime respect. So welcome everybody. You're now tuned in. Y'all are now tuned in to another amazing episode of Hip Hot Heads. I am No Sage along with Novak and we're for to discuss our favorite hip hop moments. This is episode 43. And we actually just had uh video Dave on the show the last episode. He had some cool hip hop moments. Actually, Novak, I forgot to bring this up. He actually shot a music video with Met the Man. So that was kind of a moment. And this little. Wow, really? Guest, yeah, I got, I got to share that with you. But uh, this fun fact with our guest, um, or for our guests to know about, this dude that I had on the show last episode, he designed some like stitchwork hats, where it's kind of like a patchwork of fabric. And he would just cover up anything. He said he was just tired of wearing like Cubs hats. So he would just cover it up, right? And if y'all ever caught the latest uh, Dancing with the Stars, Jason Mraz was actually wearing his hats in um, the training, like when they're like before the show. So that was kind of like a dope moment. But I digress. I got I got um, my two performance like masterclass here. I got Adam and Roberto. What's going on? Get ready, man. We appreciate <laughs> you. We appreciate you. I'm I'm just ready to talk about hip hop at any moment. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank and I'm the least ready to talk about hip hop <laughs> at any moment. You know, like I'm a good listener to hip hop, but like talk about hip hop. I don't know why I'm invited. I'm just a Chicano from LA. You know. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I'm like you're, an you're, ex-punk you're... rocker from Los Angeles. Like my favorite group when I was 12 years old was the Germs from LA, right? The Germs, right. the Circle right. Jerks, Chili Peppers, you know, like yeah. that was yeah. that was my vibe, right? Bro, I mean, it's no it's no accident you're here because like <laughs> Chili Peppers, they spit in bars. And I know Adam, aka MC Advisor, he knows all about the music um hybrids and you know all, everything the crossovers well well fun fact you know long story short i had a life have a life as an mc in a group that changed its name once and in our second iteration we actually sampled the germs i was very proud of that get out yeah <laughs> yeah uh, what am I? Was, well, f- yeah. for me, it was like you know, people talk about where they were when Kennedy died, right? For me, I know where I was when Darby Crash died. Wow. You know, I was like 12 years old at St. Cyril Catholic School, and word went around, and we were all like super bummed, you know? That's crazy. <laughs> and then recently, like I was doing like my stint because like uh, I'm a teacher at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and I went into an administrator's office and her partner, uh, Andy Falkowski, ha- who's a painter in town in Chicago, yeah. who's an amazing painter. Mostly, I would say. Not here. And he like 
had this incredible germ circle painting in her office. I'm like, I want that, you know, like I don't pay for art generally. Wow. Yeah. But I was, I was ready to go. That's, that's amazing. I, I mean, you know, not to try to be too thematic, but th this is actually kind of interesting because I always felt like where I started disliking rap music was when I felt like, oh, I could, you know, there the powers that be were forcing me and my people to only like rap music. Like the guys in my group, we all liked all sorts of stuff, you know, the, like, yeah, germs, whatever, that whole thing, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, jazz, everything. And so, um, yeah, that was, uh, there was like a lot of pressures in the late 90s, early 2000s to zero in. And I think we felt a lot of freedom when we were like, oh, okay, we don't just have to be in this little pigeonhole place. Well, listen, I mean, the both the both gems that y'all just dropped, and I know you're going to drop some more gems in our conversation here, because like, that's exactly what I was thinking. I know your, your two professorial brains on these teacher streets will definitely tie a theme somehow, but I just love to geek out in your space, right? So like, to not go too far on a tangent, I was hanging out with my dad a couple of days ago, and I just started playing some tunes on the app of my yeah. choice, I think it was Amazon Music. I started putting on some like um, American Graffiti soundtrack because I know he loved that. And then like some Bobby Darren, play similar music, whatever, right? And he's like, well, you're jamming out. I'm like, I know what you look like, Dad. Anyhow, to not go too deep in the rabbit hole, once yeah. upon a time, 104.3 used to play Dick Biondi slash 50s jams, right? And now yeah. it's so crushing to think that now they're playing like 90s rap and 90s hip hop. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> like, was that an accident? Was that was it on purpose? Uh, I I just think about how there's no oldie station, uh, period. Uh, yeah. You know, th yeah, that, that, that's I'm like, what what is oldies to our kids? Because they'll I mean, the 50s music, 60s music, I think, has a longer lasting impact than 80s and 90s music, but that's basically their oldies. Uh, yeah, it's very unfortunate. No, but I associate that shit also with, like, kind of beloved, I again, coming from L.A., like, beloved L.A. street culture, you know? Like that kind of fifties music, like my parents, when I would watch them, the most affectionate, they're listening to that stuff, you know, cheek to cheek with their butts out dancing, you know, <laughs> as like 60 year olds, 70 year olds. And I think that just warms my heart. I mean, those are like the old school people, you know, it's, it's like car shows bouncing, you know, that's, it's like that's what that's what that reminds me of these kind of like gatherings right the way of like yeah. like those remind me of community gatherings you know parties at the park right like hey see puentes come down we got a six pack let's go to the park i'm like why are we going to the freaking park man you know like there's plenty of other places to go in the world we're just going to go drink and eat some some fast food and like hang out at the park.
but like those that kind of like oldies really much more reminds me of like a a particular generation and a celebration of a kind of community you know that i really uh you know aspired to with my with my friends and family yeah i mean that's that's where it's at i mean like y'all are sharing these stories right now and we're not diving deep into the rapper hip-hop bag but like i can't i can't not mention like my mind is exploding because like it's all about for me like rap and hip-hop is all about the culture it's all about the street scene it's all about the same exact stuff you're talking about and i can't help but think when i'm giving my dad a ride and he's thinking about his like grease lightning like lightning or like uh leather jacket and greased hair days like it's not the same right like we're still talking the same language it's like you you approach music you approach the culture at a certain time in your life and then you just kind of find yourself so I, like for me i kind of i constantly love like hearing other people's stories that are sort of hip-hop and rap related and i know you both have a lot of like war rap stories in general coming up so you know that that's i i i definitely um I'm definitely blessed to be in both of your spaces, to be honest. It's just, it's just awesome. <laughs> so the other um, thing I thought worth mentioning, obviously Adam kind of like um, alluded to it, you know, you had this, uh, this rap collective that you were part of in the, mm. was it like the, the Minnesota scene, right? The Twin Cities? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my short story is I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, when I was, I guess, yeah, 14 or 15, the Minneapolis hip hop scene really started taking off with Rhyme Sayers, Slug, Beyond, Micronauts, Scrip Abstract Pack, Idea. That was sort of the Rhyme Sayers collective. Then my, me and my friends, we were sort of the younger kids and, uh, those older guys really took us in. I mean, it was a small world and all of a sudden they put Minneapolis on the map. So when I moved to New York a few years later, people really knew about the Minneapolis scene. Um, all my guys, yeah, we were a group called Odd Jobs, moved out to New York a um, few years after I did, um, connected with that whole scene there, which was like the Def Jooks era Cannibal Ox, uh, Adam's Family, Juggernauts, all of that. And um, from there, um, yeah, again, it was just right place, right time. Minneapolis had this positive reputation. We were from there. Our Minneapolis right. guys took us in. The New York people took us in because we were from Minneapolis, which was really weird. Um, and then, yeah, we, we yeah. went by odd jobs for a few years toured with everyone and then kind of uh yeah felt really pigeonholed and we were like this perpetual opening act i mean we played with all of our idols but we're always the openers and we we're always kind of doing a version of the music we liked and then when we got more untethered from hip-hop we said let's do what we want and we changed the name to kill the vultures and ah lost all of our fans but started making music that I think I was just immediately more proud of, even though now 20 years after like the drums album in your background, now I hate, even though I'm sort of, I used to cringe at that album because we were just doing too much. Now I can appreciate that. So 
that's my story. That's my trajectory. No, I appreciate you diving into that and giving us the origins because I know that can be a whole conversation and podcast on its own. But like, obviously, my hip hop head brain is just, you know, blowing up with nostalgia and geek excitement. But it's interesting you said like now you've more embraced that um, sort of formative album for other hip hop fans because it's like those aging hip hop fans or rap rap acts that um, are willing to kind of embrace their age and not I don't want to say like not afraid to play the hits, but, you know, like not afraid to feel like, you know, rap is just a young man's game. You know, they kind of like have been um, sort of taking advantage of of, you know, re re reheating that nostalgia for other folks, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and then just like one more short thing. The reason why I have complex feelings towards the drums album is we moved from Minneapolis to New York. And this was going to be our big album. Oh, these guys from the Midwest, they moved to New York and we put all this work and money into it. And then honestly, sales wise, it was a flop. It was, it was a huge disappointment. And it was like, Oh, you know, these guys moved to New York. They thought they were big time. And then it didn't really hit. And I think that's what immediately made me kind of, feel like, ah, I don't want to talk about that album. And then 20 years after it came out, started hearing from people who are like, oh yeah, that was like a big album for people in the Midwest or in this underground scene or whatever. And then, and I re-listened to it and I was like, okay, I can be proud of, of this now. So that's my complex relationship with that album. <laughs> no, the, the life of a tortured artist, I, I dig it. I just, I just, I just love to hear those, those stories. So, so sort of sort of segue to um, Roberto because like another common thread I feel like is um the performance aspect of anything right so like rap and hip hop is not the exception and I remember um Adam you said in an interview a while ago I think you said something along the lines of like when you saw Kara's perform or either you caught this story from somewhere he would like perform with a jacket and certain songs he would take off the jacket right as a way to transition. And my yeah. hip hop head um, brain was like loving that story because like KRS One is literally my ride or die. Like he's my number one MC of all time. But um, I bring that up because like I know Roberto has plenty of performances to draw from as far as um, I don't know, getting the crowd going, getting the crowd on the edge of their seat, or gut wrenching stuff, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just like my background is uh, not as integrated as Adam, except that, you know, like we fans, right? My, my, uh, I'm just a fan, right? Like I'm not a player. I come, I'm a performance artist. I come from a performance background. You know, every performance artist's goal really is to like be a rock star, hip hop star. You know, like my main goal as a performance artist always was to like, have a mosh pit in front of me and fucking stave jive into the crowd and have them carry me around while I did my stuff, you know? And, and that's kind of really the trajectory I took in my sort of music upbringing in LA was much more rock punk uh, origins of hip hop, you know? I mean, not LA, but bad brains kind of people, you know, rage against the machine and, and uh, you know, of course, easy E and sort of like OG gangster rap was kind of like where I came up and the stuff that I was looking at the whole time I was growing up and like 
all I ever freaking did, which was my creation as a performance artist, was go see shows. You know, I would just go see rock shows Monday through Friday, you know. We'd start at Al's Bar in L.A. for Monday Night Football with all the rockers. Just we watch Monday Night Football with free beer because in L.A. that starts at five. Right. And then after that shows all night long. So that's, <clears throat> excuse me, where I came from. You sound up. like you're recovering from another show. You you came from last night or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I just came from performing in Miami at Miami Art Week, which with like uh, like this bloodletting performance and some other freak freaks for sure. But uh, but people like, you know, perform like crossovers like Vaginal Davis, right, who had this band in the 80s and 90s called uh, Cholita. You know, which I happen to have my cassette tape from. Uh oh, he's right? got it. Like That's already OG, like paper. <laughs> well, it's just I have all my stuff near me for some reason, but like, you know, with my favorite song "Chinga Tu Madre," you oh, know, which is like, like some great like vaginal Davis rock songs. I think of performance artists like Karen Finley, kind of like doing spoken word. I think of the Last Poets as the originers, who like crossed over between hip-hop and performance so i have a like but like again that just influenced my own performance work i'm not like a rapper per se you know i come from this like punk era you know but my stories that i've been telling my dear friend have been much more about my sort of peripheral experiences also like uh work working and growing up in the music video scene in la yes sir uh, and sort of like peripherally experiencing weird, weird stuff on the sidelines. Wait, weirder I, I than you question. performing with the leeches? Go for it. <laughs> I, well, I want to hear about the leeches, of course. But <laughs> here's a question I have for Roberto. So I always romanticize this thing that I would hear about in New York, which was the mixing of like Blondie and Grandmaster Flash and CBGB's Ramones television talking heads, whatever rap guys with the punk guys, downtown stuff. Was that happening in LA as well? Cause I, I, we always hear about that mixing happening in New York, but yeah. What, what, what was it like in LA? Ab no, absolutely. And like, uh, when I was coming up in the late eighties, nineties, right. That was absolutely ended up being the scene that was happening between kind of like queer punk crazy perspective so you had like ron athey had club fuck in la which happened at the scream club and happened at uh downtown you know and you had all sorts of different people like vaginal davis and alike you know ron athey at the time was a major uh journalist and also music culture pop cultural journalist at the la weekly right which was like their alternative a yeah. weekly paper in Los Angeles. So like he was he was not only like a producer of events but also like a major critique crit, critic and writer of events. You know, and all those people are coming together even from the from the north of the West Coast, you know, you had hmm. you know Jello Biafra and leaving from fear coming down and all these people were talking and rapping and you know like and crossing over, you know, but it was really in LA, I would say the more vibrant scene or like a vibrant scene that I was a part of, I should say, was much more like queer punk and punk rap, 
you know, mm -hmm. and rock rap mm -hmm. rather than uh, uh, kind of like uh, like city rap, right? Yeah. So like that crossover would happen, but uh, but the scenes were a bit different. You know, mm -hmm. my sort of mm -hmm. crossover was much more about uh, kind of like queer punk fetish yeah. rock yeah. and rap interesting if that makes sense yeah yeah and that was happening like in every venue you know yeah huh i i mean uh, i like that term city rap like that's that's like a new yeah that, that's like a whole i mean i don't want to say like i mean it's all a city right but yeah. i don't want to say like inner city or urban or any of this other crap right. you know i would just say like because I could say demographically in LA, like people farther south or whatever, mm -hmm. like because because of course LA has pockets, mm. you know, because it's so dispersed. Yeah. So, but like, you know, there's definitely traveling happening, and I think that happens a lot also in the in the industry, music industry. It, like we are governed by our borders, also, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, even within a city, different movements happen you know, across different streets, you know, mm -hmm. like a different movement is going to happen in the north side versus the south side versus the west side, across western, across, you know, La Cienega, you know, if you're in Pico Union, it's going to be different than Hollywood, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, like the punk scene, you go to these really redneck zones of LA to Ventura County and Long Beach, you know, in Long Beach, you get like a super redneck racist punk rock scene, which is happening next door to Snoop Dogg, you Crazy. know? And so like, those were the weird things that were happening yeah. in these scenes. And in all events, you got the police coming and waiting for you for the concert to come out with police batons out to just beat you on your way to the car, right? And so that was like a regular occurrence after, after concerts, like the police are just out there waiting and like you're literally running or getting beaten on the way to your car. Crazy. But it was fun. So, you know, your Roberto, <laughs> you, so yeah, all, all in fun, all in fun. I feel like, Roberto, every time you talk, I have to like put some sort of a parental advisory logo in the corner of your. Oh, screen. sorry. But you keep it 100, baby. You keep it 100. No, I, no, I don't no. want anything I, less. Hey, I have I a kid. That. I'll stop cursing. No problem. <laughs> yeah, let me remind you. No, but you invoke Snoop Dogg, right? So, like, some of those periphery, sto uh, periphery stories you've shared with me, I think, on on the set of some of these music videos, right? Like, was there was there any of those that you're um you're interested to to divulge on? Yeah, sure. Like, I've had a you know, like, uh, so for so I'm a performance artist, right? And so for most of my life, my performance art career like from my early 20s, you know, through my 30s. So like for a couple of decades, what I did was music videos in LA and uh, music videos and commercials, right? And so like, it was awesome because, you know, it's like to support my art career, my buddies who were like hardcore filmmaking people would just be like, okay, Roberto, you got your performance, you go do it. And when you come back, we'll, we'll hook you up with a gig. And they were really supported my life, you know, like wholeheartedly. All they wanted was like crazy stories from the road. And all my performance people wanted were crazy stories from Hollywood. So like, uh, I mean, the one story that I've told you from Snoop Dogg that was like particularly a crack up. I mean, just a short, stupid story. Like we were doing some video from a German band 
that he was like featured in, right? Had had like two minutes of rap or like 90, 30 seconds of rapping in this German band. They'd already done the video. We just recreated the whole thing in Hollywood. I'm just a lighting guy, right? I'm just like a guy on the side. So I'm not creating anything. I'm just plugging things in and pointing the light at the right person. And like, we were there, we set the whole thing up. We're waiting for Snoop Dogg. And he's like, hours late, right? Oh, shit, man. Oh, our shoot. Snoop Dogg's coming, you know? And he gets there and there's no Popeye's chicken, right? So they have to send <laughs> like a PA like hours into LA traffic to go get Popeye's chicken. Meanwhile, Snoop Dogg and his whole crew, which has been supplied with like a bunch of Xboxes and more weed than you can imagine, is just like in the green room, smoking up and playing Xbox. And then finally the chicken comes, they eat their chicken. And we're talking like hours and hours of, of LA movie time. And then finally it was like the sweet, and then we're just waiting like, okay, well, we're just getting paid to do nothing. We're just, and we're also getting high just by sitting in the green room, you know, <laughs> and we're like waiting. And then Snoop Dogg comes out at one point when he's all done, he just looks at us with these like, with his like slide eyes. Right. And he's all, okay, let's make some magic. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes out there and it's like amazing 20 seconds of rapping you know <laughs> and a whole hollywood production so funny wow yeah but like but he so had no, a long no history brown, no brown m&ms he, he wanted chicken, but, basically no nah, but like nobody cares because like he's snoop dog you know and he just like he rules la and he's just like a super personable guy so like even low-level construction workers like myself were just like proud to be there and happy to see Snoop Dogg do his thing. Wow. I dig that. I dig that. I mean, like, so like being that you've had all these experiences and all these stories, stories and both y'all, right? Cause I feel like live performances is having a moment and it's probably having a longer moment than I, than I, fail to admit but like um, all right, man. Well, have a nice weekend. where i'm going with this is like you know folks are like flocking to theaters now just to watch live performances right and it's it's, it's no question that these live performance prices are going up and they keep skyrocketing but yeah i'm just i'm just wondering what y'all think about the the at odds experience of like sort of like a closeted musician that's trying to get out their feelings and get out their thoughts and just kind of like have an open page diary to the world as opposed to the performing <laughs> artist, right? Which is sort of like the conversation with art and commerce in general too. But I mean, it's just, it just fascinates me that, you know, like the live performance has to be a key and you always have to think about the fans in mind. Yet some of this music is not necessarily made with the fans, you know, perspective, so, so, to, so to speak, you know? Mm. One interesting thing related to that is I was reading about how these older rap acts, like when Nas and Wu-Tang did their tour, it was selling out. And then the newer guys who I like, like Playboy Cardi or Lil Durk or whatever, were actually having to cancel some shows. Um, and maybe that's just, okay, Wu-Tang's audience <laughs> are grown people who have saved up money for expensive tickets or whatever, but <laughs> it is interesting how 
yeah, not only is whatever live performance having a moment, but all this stuff came back really hard. Um, like these, yeah, acts from the 80s and 90s are selling out arenas, um, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, and then like, Roberto, when you're talking about like, you're invoking Method Man earlier, or not, you weren't, you were invoking the image of somebody stage diving, right? And riding and like surfing the crowd. Like for me, that was totally a hip hop experience and a woo Easter egg because like Method Man has been known to do that on plenty of occasion when I've seen him like House of Blues. So mm. for me, I always feel like there's no difference when I'm thinking of different musical genres, but I'm always fascinated. Yeah, I, never, I never told you I did like a Wu-Tang video in New York. No, mm. get out. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, when I say I did it, I don't want your viewers to get the impression that I did anything. Like, <laughs> go there and plug some lights in and stuff, you know. But I blocked that one out of my brain because it was just like, because making a video in New York was just brutal. Because uh -huh. making music videos in general is just like, you know, 16, 18, 20 hours, you're fighting for your pay. They're trying not to pay you. You know, you're getting like sub equipment, you're getting electrocuted. Like I was on an easy video, speaking of hip hop, like on the on the 20th story of a high rise building, this video called Neighborhood Sniper, right? I'm on the 20th floor of this high rise building on a 16 foot ladder by the edge of the building, getting electrocuted by the stand, you know, like pointing it at easy while a helicopter is flying around the, you know, so like making music videos is not a glamorous thing for like the people doing it, you know, but I, but the funniest thing in that video was like, we were in South central shooting and we're all sitting on like a little fence in a neighborhood and I'm sitting there with all my, like, uh, you know, all my, let me say Anglo friends, coworkers <laughs> eating, eating some lunch, you know, and then like a car bumping and thumping comes by slowly you know, I'm just like, all right, look at him. And then I looked to my side and all my friends have jumped over the side of the the fence and are hiding behind the fence because they're like <laughs> worried about getting drive by, you know. Oh my god. But I think in terms of liveness for me right now, really, uh I think uh that's a I mean, in my own performance art, live art world, that that's really an essential thing at the moment, you know. So you know, I appreciate musicians. I appreciate people going to see things. I think liveness is is something that's being, you know, thought of much more seriously and critically right now, whereas before it was kind of understood. But since we had years where liveness was not part of our lives, now people are taking uh, the event as a much more integral thing because we spent several years on YouTube, you know, and on Zoom, here we are now. But like right now we're thinking like, I want to go, I want to be with my community. I want to see what that feels like again, which is where music comes from, right? It's about us all getting together and like moving and sweating together and being in conjunction, you know, and that's what performance is. And uh, right now we're we're in that space. Yeah, that was the number one thing when COVID happened. I, that came to mind. I was like, "Oh, when this is over, I'm I'm just gonna see live music all the time." And like, actually, 
Yeah, I remember the last show I saw before COVID was uh, Billy Woods at Subterranean. And it's weird because like we didn't know that was going to be the last show. And then I had tickets for Shabaka Hutchings, uh, saxophonist, but I wanted to see forever. That was the first show I had tickets for that got canceled. And I was like thinking about both of those things for like the, the rest of 2020. And as soon as I got my shots, uh, yeah, went to Constellation to see some jazz. And now it's like the one thing I do for myself. I'm like buying tickets all the time. I'll go, you know, by myself or whatever. But I'm like, you never know when things are going to close up. And yeah, so I'm, I'm embracing the liveness. Absolutely. I dig it. I love, I love those stories because it's kind of like I, I grew up obviously in the uh, the tape and CD area era. So like, you know, Roberto's showing off some tapes. Like I probably have some stashed away here. And obviously vinyls have been having a moment too. So yeah, like with music being so at the ready on the YouTubes and the, the Spotify's and whatnot, it definitely makes it a bigger deal when there's some, some tangibleness going on. I, I definitely wanted to pry on Roberto cause I haven't been able to talk to you in a bit, man. Like, so speaking of moments, the, the local museum, is that, is that what you're talking about with the, the leeches? Cause I know you've always had a collection of leeches, but was there somehow you were able to kind of have a synergy with, with all of that? that you had going on on the, the leash front? <laughs> well, locally, if we're talking about Chicago, right. uh, I hope well, I know you travel too, with... but go for it. Yeah. I mean, talking about Chicago, I'm uh, just, hopefully just tell us in the about the leeches. Just, yeah. just talk about the leeches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I got, I got 14 now swimming around. <laughs> they just arrived yesterday. <laughs> They're halal, by the way. Uh oh, here it is. They are so they were only fed on halal blood in their farming process, so wow. they can be used in any sorts of rituals. You know, I use them as a in my performance. You know, my performance is really about healing and really deals with like violence on black and brown bodies and police violence. I, I use the leeches as a means of sort of redrawing wounds that. Uh, the police have inflicted on black and brown bodies using autopsy photos of of various famous and not so famous uh, perpetrations by the police. And so I layer my body with leeches and use the leeches as a drawing tool and bleed from them. And also like tears of blood and other things like that. But recently I was in Miami this past weekend for Miami Art Week and the big art fairs uh, to do that performance at a mainly Latino-based gallery called Edge Zones, uh, which had a big uh, day of performance making. And so I, I did it there. So I still have a little bit of my little bit of my hickeys. Some battle scars. Uh -oh. from, the, from my collaborators, who I call the Kardashians because they all look alike and they're all bloodsuckers. <laughs> You know, so I don't want to give them individual names, but they are my pets, right? So I got to call them something. I just call them the Kardashians. So that's where that comes from. <laughs> but yeah, we were speaking of, you know, in terms of music, we were there with the famous Rat Bastard, who is a, a well-known noise musician from the Miami area. Really? And also has worked with many performance artists, including Ron Athey and other kind of extreme artists uh, making work. So look up Rap Bastard, of course. 
you know. And there were a few other musicians, no rappers, unfortunately, but yeah, it was nuts and a lot of fun. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad you're doing that work. I'm glad you're spreading those messages that needs to be heard and those stories and and I mean the the imagery of 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 a leech. I think everyone's had a leech in their life, whether they're actually an actual leech or not. So you know, <laughs> why not? Why not? Why not um use that as a platform? <laughs> so yeah, I mean like just just you know just loving being in both of your spaces here like obviously um me and my my podcast uh co-conspirator like we're all about you know rap and hip-hop and again we're always like constantly like fascinated by all the different crossovers like with music with fashion with cinema just you know just everything everything as it were um and yeah, I mean, like, the thing that kind of throws me off now is like, yeah, is 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 the music kind of losing its sort of um, edge because now it's kind of turning into different things, and I know probably punk had the same type of, um, um, I don't want to say like commentary, but probably had the same sort of like uh, feelings that you know it was like when you have a melting pot of different music's happening, right? So like rap is now like evolving and turning to different things right now. So I'm uh, I'm just look yeah. I'm just looking to try to embrace it, you know? Embrace the change. I actually have a kind of a hot take uh which is that I actually think the last five years have been the most exciting time for rap music since the golden era. And I always think about like there are three important years. This is a, a working theory that we could get into more if you want, but sure. There, I think there are three important years in rap music um, after Run DMC, which is 1988, 1991, and 1994. And I even like ask people, like, are you a like which of those years is you? You know, are you a 91 person or 88 person or 94 person? And then after that. There's basically just, I don't know, not like the music got bad, but it was just kind of stagnant. There's a lot of good stuff. You know, I think Jason, you and I were very big into that early 2000s underground scene, which sort of felt like, or, or it felt like at the time, very exciting. Um, yeah. I think now the past four or five years, is actually the first time that I felt, you know, because you used the term lost its edge. I actually think the edge is back for the first time since 94, which is Wu-Tang, Nomadic, Ready to Die. I mean, Wu-Tang was, I guess, 93, technically. But um, um, so I'm very excited. I, I'm like, and I think it's gone beyond rap music. Um, I, I just, that's another reason why I'm seeing a lot of shows. Cause I'm like, wow, these, like the young groups that are out right now are like incredible. Um, they make me, uh, excited in the way that I felt when I was, yeah. Hearing those, yeah. Those 88, 91, 94 albums. 
No, I'd love to hear that. I mean, that's that's definitely um, a good way to, to to hear how it's been repurposed. Like, obviously, me approaching the music as a youngling, like I always felt like there was some angst to it, and it's very interested when Roberto was sort of dropping like the street, you know, like moniker on some of this music because I myself sort of felt like at odds, like my life isn't always about the streets, but when I'm trying to recreate this music for myself, like, do I have to commentate on the streets? I guess I have to, why not? Why not, why not do it? And I have done it, but like, yeah, I mean, to your point, Adam, it's like, if the edge is always there, how, how, how is it being done? If it's not leaning heavy on the message, which is how I usually approach rap, it doesn't always have to be about the message, right? It could be about the sonic, mm. the sonic um, intensity of it all. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's the thing that I'm noticing. It's about that energy that that yeah. early 2000s period that you and I embraced that was very heavy on lyrics and a lot of that I still enjoy like MF doom or juggernauts. And a lot of that I'm like too many words. And so <laughs> What I like about, I mean, I'll just throw out some names of people, even though these are amazing rappers as well, like this guy Maxo, this guy Mike, um, Pink Sifu, Too Rich Benji, actually a lot of California adjacent people uh, for whatever reason. Um, even though they're amazing rappers and the words are there, you know, you're talking about the message, it's actually more of that energy. And I think what I was always seeking is actually punk energy which is what I got out of the 88, 91 and 94 albums. Um, yeah. When I think about the stuff that I was into in the early two thousands, a lot of that to me hasn't held up because it was almost too much about the words and not enough about the energy. And, and that's what I'm seeking energy and vision. Actually, those are the, those are the two things. I mean, those are abstract concepts, but it's like, you know, what the congressman said about pornography. It's like, I know it when I see it, you know, or feel it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is definitely um, no mistake that some of some of the stuff you're talking about being Cali adjacent, because like with the rave culture, with the festival culture, you know, just with the, the live music culture, like a lot of that feeds mm -hmm. into it and they kind of play off each other in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Does that play into you think, Adam? Like this kind of uh, like post-COVID, like like fervor, right? Probably like breaking out. Probably, I think, yeah, because these are guys that I started hearing about right before COVID, and then post-COVID, I'm like the amount of good music that's coming out. Yeah, maybe it was like being kept at bay or something, but, um, yeah, the energy and, and it's interesting when I say punk energy, like a lot of these guys, their shows, the music is very jazzy. It doesn't sound like punk music, but right. there's a edge there. I mean, I guess like whatever people could hear punk energy and kind of blue. Um, and, and so it's those guys. And it's also like last few shows I saw Lil Yachty and Lil Uzi Vert. So the popular guys too, I'm always kind of interested in like, what are 16 year olds losing their minds about? And to go to those shows, I'm like yeah. in the back, but um, 
they're they're so they're so on edge uh, at the little yachty show which was at the aragon the the warm-up dj knew what he was doing he was playing he would play bohemian rhapsody smells like teen spirit and these right. kids were so ready to lose their minds that they were you know preemptively losing their minds to nirvana <laughs> and queen and uh yeah, that, I think that's what I'm seeking, uh, that. Um, yeah, and it, it is a post-COVID cathartic release as well. No, and I love that you brought up the DJ element, right? Because, Adam, I know you also mess around on the DJ scene um, with your own equipment. But, like, yeah. I, I don't want to dismiss, like, the DJ boom, too, right? Because it's kind of like, for mm -hmm. a while... DJs in it in their own right were just you know selling on arenas or just rocking shows on their own and just figuring out the right needle drop and the right way to kind of insert it whether it was a rave or not. Yeah, that's that's everything. I I, I still I'm like semi-retired rapper, but I still consider myself a DJ. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm trying to do it more. I actually bought better equipment. That was one kind of post-COVID purchase. So we'll see what happens there. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. It's awesome. amazing. Yeah. So um, what about, uh, I definitely feel it with my kids because they're eight and 12 and they sort of understand the hip hop elder statesmen. And they also kind of have a pulse on what's going on. I'm curious, um, Roberta, what's going on? Do you see any, any punk-esque like vibes with your with your daughter or is there anything <laughs> kind of trickling through or taking different <laughs> turns that you haven't expected no my girl is much more interested in like like uh radical new experimental korean music you know like wow. ag2r that performed with my wife's and my daughter's uh Pungmul group, Korean traditional drumming protest group at the Skirball Center in LA. And they they came out from Korea and played. And so my daughter, like, she basically sings along with either choir music from her Catholic school or like radical Korean traditional fusion music, which she loves. And of course, hip hop and all and uh, K-pop and more of that stuff. She's not really into the hip hop thing, but you know, we just let our kids go and it will they'll they'll tell us what the hell is going on right out there you know yeah i always think you get lucky when your kid likes some good music because when people are like oh yeah my kid is listening to the rare b-side of you know whatever um james chance uh from the no wave scene i'm like no your kid is not listening to that and so you get lucky when your kid does get obsessed with something good. Um, yeah, it's like, actually, I should say, I'll take this time to say, I, I think we were very inspired by uh, Roberto's parenting style because we actually met each other when our first children were in the womb. And that was the first time we met our wives. We're, we're at the same party, very pregnant. And then, so we kind of like, grew up as parents together. And the, and the one thing I remember, this is the, the inspiration part, was when Mega, my wife, was like, yeah, 
uh, Aram and Roberto, they just take Nara everywhere. They're just out with her all the time. And we're just like, oh, you can do that. And that was actually very shortly, like little, little kids. And, and then, then it was like, oh, yeah, you don't have to be at home. You just take take the child everywhere. Just go. Uh, and um, that I, I, that was like that's like a small concrete thing. But just that philosophy was like very freeing. Um, and uh, and then it's yeah the same with music. You just <laughs> let let them Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, like I we like even to like weird effed up performance events we just take the kid i don't even ask if it's family friendly anymore <laughs> you know because like after the day we went to this performance at defibrillator where there was this uh naked trans person who had pens pierced all over their body asking people to write or draw and my and she, i think she was like five at the time wanted to go up and draw on this trans person's naked body and we're like, go for it, whatever, you know. And then my mom happened to be in town and she's like nicely sitting on her chair. Like, oh my God, or, you know, we're just you like, you got whatever, three generations. You know? Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. You just got to, you know, but yeah, like I, I have no doubt that I'll be following my kid to concerts more than the other way around. I respect Although we that. just came from the that. Christmas carol last night. So. <laughs> yeah, you gotta embrace it all. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm definitely not gonna be so hard and judge myself if, for some reason, I actually have my older one attend a, a Kanye performance because I asked him recently, "What's your top three rappers?" And he did say Kanye, Bad Bunny, and I forget there is another rapper that's escaping me. It's hard. Oh, Eminem, it? of course. Eminem. Yeah, those are top three. But it's super cringeworthy because like I'm not sure if y'all mm. caught like Ye performed earlier this week with like a like a black uh KKK hood <laughs> kind of help promote the album that was supposedly supposed to come out today. And my podcast co-host was like, it didn't come out. It's not coming out. And yeah, true to form it didn't it didn't drop today at all. Yeah. No, my school wanted to give an honorary degree and I think it happened and then they rescinded it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. And we're and they wanted him to teach, and there was a whole group of professors who were like, you know, it's probably not a great idea. You know? <laughs> that was no before everything really hit the fan. But no thanks for the academic three. So he was literally charging. I think it was at Vegas last night or midnight yeah. or whatever it was to kind of like say, all right, the album's not coming, but you can watch us live for two grand, or you can stream it for two stacks. I'm like, wait a minute, how is it the same price? But that's that's yay that's yay being yay <laughs> it's um I mean, yeah yeah it, it, someone described it as the old onion headline of uh marilyn manson now going door to door trying to shock people like um <laughs> which it, even marilyn manson i think there was something more authentic to to him. I, I think, yeah, this whole thing. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm opting out of it. Um, yeah. It's uh, unfortunate. True indeed. So, yeah, and I know we're sort of rounding out um, the time because I actually hop on, got to hop on to something else in a moment. But, bro, like both of y'all definitely covered the victory lap as far as a lot of the, the topics that I wanted to cover, like we could definitely 
probably come to this conversation another point. Um, but yeah, I mean, has there been any other uh, any other final thoughts that y'all had? I I actually was always curious, Adam. Like, um, before I knew the connection with you and Roberto, like mm -hmm. when I heard of your partner's name Mega, I was like, that's like so hip hop. Like, what what's that? Is that the actual name? Is that a moniker? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, I think um, no, no, that's, that's her name. Um, yeah, well, I, I, like my last name is Waits, and it's good that sure. she didn't take my last name. You know, <laughs> it's too close to to megawatts. Um, but uh, um, yeah, um, no, I get. I'll, I'll have to tell her that her her middle name means cloud, which I actually think oh, is okay. cool. There's, there's something in hip hop to me about that. Um, right, right, but. Uh, yeah uh wait no no i think uh, sorry mega means cloud that, that's what i meant oh so there's gotcha. yeah there's something uh hip-hop to that as well uh, but I, I never put it together until uh right that's now. dope no i mean because y'all y'all you and uh roberto dropping these names or even arm too i'm like are y'all naming a hip-hop mc who is this i never met this person <laughs> yeah yeah we'll all uh connect one of these days um yeah. But yeah. yeah, no, I actually, my, my closing thought is, is I, I've been really thinking about this 88, 91, 94 thing. And I, I always considered myself a 91 person, but okay. I think that's because I was just a tad too young in 88, like 88. I remember hearing stuff around, but just revisiting everything that came out that year Bismarcky, Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, all of that. Um, that's basically what I'm seeking in yeah, in life fun. right now. 1988 rap music. And so that is my closing thought. I, I would just like revisit everything that came up that year. Hey, I don't know. I'm going I'm to yeah. pass it off to Roberto, but to riff on that really quickly. Yeah. Like, again, you, you knew like me being in that 93, 94 pocket of like, Bank street hip-hop like wu-tang obviously is my ride or die mm -hmm. collective and you mm -hmm. know tribe also but the yes. at odds conversation with like tribe and de la soul and admittedly this year with de la finally hitting the streams mm -hmm. i was able to catch that moment with my kids and they both oh, were gravitated to the de la sound and i had to yes. revisit it and all the prince paul yep. like production from the first three albums like how did I miss how rich this is with the skits, with the bars? Yeah. Like I always wanted to like lump them into this like glossy, like Jurassic five category, which again, no, no shade on them, but like, I, right. I definitely didn't unpack like the brilliance that De La Soul always brought. Yeah, man. That's a whole, I, I had the same experience. Yeah. When the, they, our kids got into three is the magic number. I mean, of course yes. at schoolhouse rock. And uh, yeah, so we could say more about that. Yeah, I was still like, uh, I think most of, you know, I mean, we're talking about a lot of this stuff, but like a lot of my sort of hip hop crossover, right? Like I talk, I talk a lot about punk, right? I talk mm. a lot about, you know, and I think I, and rock punk, like Rage Against the Machine, you know, but also like Cypress yeah. Hill, Lighter Shade awesome. of Brown, Amazing. you know, like that, that was really my kind of, like looking, you know, uh, I had a lot of Chicano rap, I have to say, you know, was Actually, really the place that I landed in rap music. 
I mean, we could go on and on, but I want to say Cypress Hill, and this is something I'm seeking as well. That was the first time a rap group, I heard it and it was kind of scary. Like there are other rap groups that were trying to be scary, like Mm. whatever gangster rap groups or then horrorcore rap groups. But I was actually, (laughs) I was, I was scared. I don't know why. And, And that is something I'm seeking. I think that is something that's missing. I'm not fearful of any music I hear. Right. Um, And it's not just because I'm older, Um, but I I just, I'm envious that you were in LA and who you are during that explosion. Uh, Just amazing. It's a young person with a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for that next ride. Although I did perform on stage with Rage Against the Machine one time, and that was a huge failure, dude, but lovely. Yeah, because, like, what do kids want to hear, like, performance art poetry before, like, Rage comes on? You know, uh... they don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares what you're doing before the band comes on. Yeah, you know, say you open for them. I'm with it. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll co-sign that you open for them. But I was even so laughing like... the whole time. It was like, nobody cares. <laughs> Let's stop. <laughs> well, look, I, I I give a shit. I definitely give a shit about you too. For anyone who has tuned in or will tune in the future, I hope they don't think that this is like uh, a dad pod reminiscing over days of yore for the classic stations because there is a hybrid element to all this classic rock and classic hip hop and you know right now reggaeton, which I guess eventually will be classic reggaeton. Who knows? Um, but yeah, all these moments, all these moments mean something to me. So I appreciate you both just waxing poetic on all of them. <laughs> good to Thank see you guys. You. Yeah, good we'll, to see you, Adam. Good to see you. We'll, Jason. we'll chat in person soon. Nobody moves. Around the back. Keep that thing. Uh-huh. 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 Uh-